0: There you go. Can you, see, can you see the fro? The fro at the top left? That's, that's a Jackson 5 legendary fro, that one there. It's a great joy for us to be with you uh, here this morning, and uh, Pastor Greg has asked us to come and bring our story. It's been quite a while since we've told the full story. Over the years that I've been preaching here at The Rock, you've heard snippets of uh, my part of my story And so, I I think I'm probably going to find out a little bit about my wife this morning that maybe I don't even know uh, as she comes and shares. But we've entitled uh, the story this morning, Ebony and Ivory. Uh, That's who we are. We're the blend of two nationalities, we're the blend of two ethnicities. And uh, and our story is one of uh, incredible intervention of God. And the wonderful thing is, Pastor Greg has been saying by way of introduction this morning, the Bible is actually a story of romance. It's a story of God seeking out a bride for his son and going to extreme lengths of unconditional love to achieve that. And we're two people who have been pulled out of the miry clay. And God placed our feet on the rock and dramatically changed our lives in the course of that. So we're going to break our story into three parts BC, before Christ. Uh, BC, AC, no, BC, before Christ. And then uh, the the transformation that took place at a given point in time in both of our lives that dramatically changed the course of our life forever when we encountered Jesus, that's the middle part. And then we're going to share some of the things that God's done in our life since that we've received Jesus. So I'm going to pass it on to Viv. Let's give her a big hand this morning. God bless you.
1: Good morning, everybody. Uh, I think I've turned on. Yes. Careful how you interpret that one. (laughs) Careful, careful. um, It's a real blessing for me to be here this morning and not come as James's caregiver as per usual. (laughs) It's it's good to be able to share with my story. The funny thing I was uh, saying to Pastor Greg and Danny this this morning and last night, it's been a long time since I shared my testimony. And so, you know, what I know now is, uh, is compared to what I knew in those early days when my mind was a bit foggy through use of certain substances, Um, I can actually put everything in chronological order, which is pretty good for me, not bad, you know, and um, and so what's emerged is a story where I've got to the end of it, and I've gone, wow, that was amazing, God, (laughs) it really was, because through our life journey, we've always gone to that place where we've just brought a word, and, and you know, she had some of our testimony, but so here goes, there's a scripture in Ephesians 2 verse 7 that says this, once you were dead because you your disobedience, and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires of our hearts and of our sinful nature. And that is so true. That's it in a nutshell. So I grew up in Northland, I'm Māori, and I come from Ormāpere, which is up in Hokianga. and I was number 11 in a family of 12 children. So we were a party just going from place to place to place. And uh, and my mum and dad as well. And I had a happy childhood. I can't, you know, I didn't have one of these, I haven't got one of these testimonies from rags to riches. I had a great childhood. I had um, parents who stayed together for all of those years that we were um, children, and they—my father departed this world having loved my mother intentionally and lovingly. And um, you know, so I grew up under that. And it, uh, in the mornings and at night, I would hear my mother and father with their Anglican prayer book going through the prayers of things and praying for us as kids. Were they Christians? No, they were not. But they were religious. And they did the best that they could with what they had. Towards the end, of course, they gave their hearts to the Lord and 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 I can't say that there was anything in my childhood that actually defined where I got to. So I was um, I was there was things done to me when I was a child and things that I did as well but none of those things actually defined me and uh, sometimes they do and sometimes people struggle with them but I never did and it could have been because because I had older brothers and sisters and we sort of just you know it's just like the mob yeah we just went from one place to the other place (laughs) and it was all great fun we had a party as soon as we woke up we had a party at lunchtime and dinner time it was just party 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 and um, so when I got to about 12 years old, my party um, antics were getting a bit out of hand and my dad thought maybe I should move on, so he sent me to a number of places to keep me away from bad influences, but actually I think I was the bad influence. <laughs> we never figured that one out until I got a bit older. Everybody else, once I left the picture, everybody, you know, it was like on those Facebook things, you know, left the group. Once I left the group, they were fine. I couldn't figure that one out, but, you know, my dad thought he was doing the uh, the best thing for me. So I went to live with my sister at 12, and she had a very rocky relationship with her husband, and so... I would stick with the kids and all that sort of stuff, try and comfort them and keep them together. And then I went at 15, I moved down to Tudangi. This is my dad trying to keep me away from these bad influences again. And when I got down to Tudangi, this is when I hit the party scene. And um, like I said, I, couldn't, I can't nail anything down that made me the way I was. It was just I wanted to have life and have it abundantly all of it, anything, anything. So I did that, and when I was 14, I went down to Tudangi and I got—I got, at 14, we were having the biggest parties that I'd ever seen, and there was booze and alcohol and relationships. I don't know why people do, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> I don't know how it happened. Apparently, it was my fault that it happened, actually. And I mean, on graduation day, when we graduated from high school, the fourth, fifth formers, and the sixth formers, and the seventh formers, this is Tongarero High School in Turangi. We were out at Stump Bay. They were doing presentations at the school. We were out at s- this place called Stump Bay, drinking and partying and carrying on. So, you know, I, that was who I was at that point in time. I wanted to have fun. That, you know that old song, yeah, I was just want to have fun. That was me, <laughs> by myself. And so... Um, as time went on, um, you know, I think about that scripture that I just read, and I think about curbing my, uh, you know, my um, sinful desires and curbing the inclinations of that. And I thought to myself, "My goodness, Lord! You know, way back, right now, I'm thinking, I'm looking back, way that He had His hand on me even then." And so, um, it wasn't long before I'd out, you know, what do you call it? I'd outlived my uh, welcome. So it was time to move on, and my dad said to me, right, your brother is working for the New Zealand Treasury in New Air. I'm sending you there. New country, new culture. You're going you're gonna to nail it. And I thought, mm, okay, off we go. I can't remember the flight. Apparently, I went to the bar at the airport, and when I emerged, I was good to sleep, and that was probably it. So I went to New Air. Unfortunately, somewhere up in the bush in New I found a club. And, uh, <laughs> and my new set of friends decided I'd be good to go, they'd be good to go with me, so off we went. And I gave my brother and his wife such a hard time because, you know, um, I was, what, six, 17 by this time. And uh, so we got – it was just fun, fun, fun. And, uh, you know, the thing is, when you first turn up for the party – everything is wonderful, it's all decorated, everybody's in their best, you know, threads and the food looks good and then there's always got to come an after party, right? An after party when all the tinsel's fallen off the roof and all the food's all over the floor and somebody's gone out with somebody who wasn't his wife or his, it's all ugly afterwards and so I got to that point in my life where the party was over and I, um, I thought to myself, Lord, this is what it looks like. Well, I was thinking to myself, wow, this is what it looks like when the party's over. And you realise, you know, everybody's got their Sunday morning story after the big night out where it's hollow. And suddenly there's this life full of no purpose whatsoever. And you begin to realise that you were built for something more than this. Surely you were built for something more than this. But you wonder, how do I get there? And in that cry for help at that time, it might be just you thinking you're talking to yourself, but God hears it. Somewhere across the universe, it's like, bang, that girl needs me now. And so that's the point I got to um, after New Year. I came home. And I found a job, and, a, and I found a place in a flat with my cousin, who my dad called religious. Okay. I thought, awesome, two years, because that's how long I was going to stay with her, a couple of years with no fun, this is not going to be good. <laughs> I think to myself, I'm going to ruin this poor Christian girl. She doesn't know what, what to look forward to, but it's, you know, I, I thought to myself, where I am, there's going to be a party and this girl, she was my cousin, and I thought to myself, wow, here we go, um, it's going to be dry, it's going to be boring, It's gonna, she's going to be one of them Bible bashes, she's going to evangelise to me and tell me if I don't turn my ways around, I'm going to end up in hell, you know, all that sort of stuff, and I thought, I am not looking forward to this, and so I arrived at her house, and uh, she Brought me into the house, and um, and that was where my my journey to discover a God who loved me began.
0: (laughs) For for once, she's been obedient. Uh, my story is a little bit different. We, we didn't have a family of 12. We had a family of four, two boys, two girls. And I grew up in a, um, a uh, home where both my parents loved me. I think my dad's up there, uh, my mum and my dad. Uh, they were loving parents. Uh, but alas, all was not well inside the four walls of, of our home. And uh, so from the outside, it looked like we had an envious lifestyle. But from within, it was a completely different story growing up. So we grew up in rural New Zealand. We, we grew up on a very large um, uh, farm. Uh, it was a uh, cropping farm. So uh, we supplied potatoes to Watties. So we, I've had potatoes in every imaginable recipe known to mankind. <laughs> Scallop potatoes, cheese potatoes, you know, potatoes with their skins on all kinds of potatoes. But I still love potatoes. Isn't that incredible? After all of that. Uh, we were... Um, my cousin's here this morning. Caroline, we want to welcome you. Let's give her a hand this morning. So <laughs> the reason why she's so significant, and we've hardly spent any time together as adults because she's been living in the UK for for decades, and uh, she's just back here now and living in Titahi Bay, so she came along this morning. But we all grew up on the farm, so we had the, the cousins over there in the, in the house, and then we ha- had a house that we were growing up, and then we had my grandparents' house, which I'll show you a, this slide here. So this is... This is, the, uh, this is the house of my grandparents, 10 bedrooms, um, a magnificent, it's a historic home now in New Zealand, protected, uh, a wonderful home, and this is the home that I moved into in my teenage years uh, after my grandparents died, and uh, it's still an incredible place. As you can see, I was there last year uh, after we did a family funeral. We went back to see it's no longer in the family. So... Uh, We had some major difficulties uh, within our family. We were asset rich and cash poor. And I can still remember my mother making all of our clothes as we were kids. She was a seamstress, so she sewed and she made all of our clothes. And (coughs) the ones that didn't fit you anymore got passed down to the next kid. And she was incredibly frugal, but she was under a lot of stress uh, because she didn't have the money that she needed to run the home because my father was an alcoholic. And uh, he spent most of the money on alcohol. And of course, being an alcoholic, your life is never in order. And uh, that spins out and spills out onto the children and onto the family. And so we had some very, very difficult years behind closed doors with all that brings into a family. A lot of dysfunctionality, uh, a lot of hardship uh, with my mum and dad in their own relationship, but spilling over into the kids' Uh, until eventually um, things started getting ugly and domestic violence was happening in our home. And there was only one way it was gonna go and that was my mother had to escape and she had to leave. And uh, so she left and she came down to Wellington at the age of 40 and did a midwifery degree, which I thought, good on her. She said that uh, the smoke was pouring out of her ears trying to understand everything after having four children and then going back to study. And she became a midwife and continued to support our family. So as I grew up in this environment, uh, soon, uh, the, the, most of us understand this, even in a good home, there's certain things that impact us from our parents, but in a dysfunctional home, there's a lot of childhood bruises that remain for years and years into our adult life if we don't get help for them. And so I grew up very independent, I was shipped off to boarding school at the age of 11, and so by the time I was in my mid-teens, I was super independent. I could have gone out and lived in the world completely on my own. And along with that started the same pattern that I inherited from my father. So I started drinking at a very young age, at the age of 13, 14, 15 years old. And, uh, and that then graduated onto, uh, into the world of drugs and the underworld of drugs. And I soon found my life spinning out of control. And uh, as you do, you find other people who are in the same uh, bracket as you and, and that mob sticks together. And uh, soon I found that I was mixing with the wrong company and that eventually led to a serious assault where I was the assaulter. And uh, if that assault had been reported, I would have been thrown into jail. But as a result of it not being reported to the police, I, my, my life was marked and I literally had to leave the district because uh, certain people were out to take revenge on me. So I fled north and ended up in the Bay of Plenty, where very soon I found the same connections into the underworld and began my life of uh, drug taking and alcoholism as my life was continuing to spin out of control. It was around this time that I met a woman in a nightclub, and uh, I was delayed to later find out that she was eight years older than me and that she was married. And I didn't know that when I first met her. And so we, we, uh, we ended up living together uh, over the course of a year. And it was at this time that I found out about her life. And her husband, uh, she actually was over in New Zealand from Australia to visit her elderly parents. And her husband was a heroin addict. And so she just had enough of that lifestyle. And uh, so we, we, we started living together and it was in these moments where she would just, one day she would just flick switches uh, in her life, and then she would wistfully begin to tell me about how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And then I found out that she was actually a backslidden Christian. And so here she is, as someone who's living in adultery with a younger man, is, had fled her relationship because she had abuse and the the hard drugs that turned her life upside down in her own marriage. And here she was in moments of reflection, sharing from the depth of her heart how she had once had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that it wasn't religion, it was about God coming and entering the world as a man in order to save us from our sins and give us an abundant life. I'd never heard this message We were raised as good Anglicans. We went to church at Easter and at Christmas in order to stay on the membership roll and keep up the the, the good, you know, our our cousins used to envy us because they were Catholics and Caroline and her family had to go to church every week and they wished that they were in our family where uh, we did the twice a year thing. And so this, this talk that my girlfriend was sharing with me was completely foreign. And I just used to listen and I'd just flick off what she was saying. Until one day, very, in a very short period of time, just within a few days, she up and left the relationship under deep conviction that she could no longer live in an adulterous relationship. And she fled the relationship and left me high and dry. And uh, at that point in time, she, she was everything that I was leaning on. And she took the crutch away. And uh, I spun into a deep depression and uh, I couldn't work. I had to take time off work. My boss gave me time off work as my mind was scrambled, and uh, all the childhood bruises within my life were surfacing, and it was, to me, it was, the the landscape in front of me was extremely ugly at that point in time, and uh, and it was right at that point in time that um, I thought, I'll fix it. I'll just do some deeper drugs and heavier drugs and that's what I did and then I just ended up becoming a complete wreck and it was at that point in time that uh, you're about to hear after Viv shares the next segment what took place in my life
1: I sound simply angelic compared to him don't I (laughs) such a good girl was I (laughs) I There's a scripture in Romans 5:8 says, "But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners." And it always blows my mind when I hear people's testimonies and I hear about the the lengths that God went to rescue each person. And I believe in that moment when I was crying out from way over here, and God sent, you know, help my way in the form of my my cousin. So um my cousin was a born again Christian, and, like I said, I thought this will be the end of the the end of the beginning she 'll be evangelizing me and um you know she would be a bible basher and all that sort of stuff because um I thought to myself, you know from where I was to where God had sent me i was it was huge it was a big it was going to have to be a big change and I was really, really afraid put it that way. That what was going to happen, because I, I had this sense of I would never measure up to her expectations, but the thing was that she wasn 't like that she wasn 't like that at all. And in fact, I was saying to James that she was the kind of person that scooped you up, and she was going this way, so you were coming with her, whether you liked it or not she wasn 't much older than me and she was vivacious and she was, you know, she loved music and all this sort of stuff, but we always thought, you know, when we were cousins, we always thought there was us and then there was her. She was that woman, that girl, you know. She was close to God and mind yourself around her, otherwise she'll tell God on you and you would be had it. Absolutely had it. And so living with this, you know, living with this prima donna, I thought to myself, hey my goodness. How many? Anyway, anyway. I needn't have worried. She scooped me up. She, it, it was like this. I never, ever can remember her saying, do you want to come to church? She would just say, we're going to church at 9.30. Get dressed, you're coming. And it was like, y- yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. You know, it was like that was the sort of thing. And so she would scoop us up, off up and she would take us. And, you know, one of the things that is the pillar of the church that we pastor at the moment is discipleship. That was her form of discipleship. You know, I can't sit you down because you're not going to listen. She knew that about me. I mean, James is working this one out still. <laughs> and um, she would, um, she would just, she would just say, "Well, the only way I can do it is take her with me." So she took me to everything pre meetings, you know, <laughs> it was those pre meetings, it was a little weenie um, church up in Eden Terrace, and it was one of those pre meetings where you'd be sitting there and everybody would go, mmm, mm, 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 like they mumbling away, and then somebody would go, Lord God, and you'd go, hey, What happened? <laughs> You know, it was just one of those. And she'd take me to all these very, very strange things, take me to the pastor's house, you know, and he had these eyes that sort of would bore into you and you'd be <laughs> eating, go. That was her. And I encourage anybody who's, um, who's a Christian today and you're wondering about your friends, just take them with you. Take them on the journey. Just say, come on. And, they, and God will be able to sort himself out. You, know, you don't have to protect him. I think we all know by now he's seen it all. <laughs> he really has. So she was like that, and I would like to say, you know there was a, there was a, a, a preaching that happened, and it wasn't so much them, that was the th- thing that got me. They were, it was a small church, it was dry, it was really the, the preaching was really boring. But they all had this thing about this message about acceptance and about love and about a God who loved and accepted, a God who could do amazing things, a God who wanted to be in your life 24-7. It was the message that brought me to my knees it wasn't the people. <laughs> so you guys, you can just breathe now and go, ah, it's not, it doesn't depend on us whether it's going to work or not. It's actually God. <laughs> and so they had this message and I would like to say, you know, I turned my life over to, to God in that time. And I'd like to say that it was like, you know, it was awesome and, you know, and all the, the lights went and the fire, but it didn't work like that for me. It didn't work like that for me because is what Pastor Greg said this morning. I tried to clean myself up. And the more I tried, the worse it got. <laughs> and I tried to, you know, I tried to do things. I tried to, right, I'm going to pray for an hour. An hour. God, I love me if I pray for an hour. So I just pray. thanks for the, uh, I don't know what to pray for. <laughs> the car. I, I didn't know. Maybe pray for work. I don't know. And I thought, right, I'll read my Bible. So I read all these words, but nothing sunk in because I hadn't a relationship with this God. And it just got worse and worse. And do you know, this is the thing that I realised in that time. My friends, who, who my Christian friends and my cousin and that, they, had, they were becoming proficient at getting closer to God, and they were going from strength to strength and worship and in prayer and getting to know God. The only thing I could do consistently was backslide. <laughs> if there was ever any claim to fa- fame, that was it. I just couldn't make the grade. I felt the standard was too high for me. I couldn't, I couldn't achieve it. So I kept backsliding, and then I'd say to myself, see, I knew it. And so I'd repent and go back, backslide. See, I knew I can't make it because I was trying to do it all in my own strength, and I kept going on the outside. It's like having a corporate box. You know that it's a special place. You know that food comes and drink comes, and you know it's a very special place. But you're actually not involved in the actual stuff that's happening on the field, and that's the way I felt. And so. Um, I was uh, often backsliding. It was during one, one of these times of backsliding that I found out that I was pregnant. And I had what was called an ectopic pregnancy, which was dangerous. And, um, you know, I, I suffered that on my own because I didn't want to be an embarrassment to my parents. I didn't want anybody to know so it was during this time I lost the baby so I went through the grief of losing the baby and um, my parents were none, the, they didn't know anything, nobody knew anything so I grieved on my own and it was also during this time that the doctor said to me, I don't think you'll be able to conceive again ever. So I fell into a place of depression and anxiety thinking well what will the future hold for me? there's no point in me getting married because I can't have a family and I wouldn't be able to find any man that wants to marry a person that can't have, a, can't have babies. So that was a sadness that I I had to be on my own and I was living in Auckland at that time, working for the health department. And it was around about this time that I threw in my job and I went back to start, uh, stay with my parents. And... Um, you know, they hadn't. They had no idea why I was home. Um, so for about a year, I grieved on that myself. I drank again, and I didn't go back to God because I thought, well, I'm pretty had it. You know, God wouldn't want me back because I'd tried myself and it didn't work. And so, um, I, uh, I, I, you know, those year that year was pretty much a, fa- a phasy time in my life. I can't remember too many things about that because. Um, because of my depression and there was no medication in those days. You just had to bear it. You just had to just bear it. There was no way that you could do anything else and I knew the minute if I went to the doctor about, my, about this that my parents would want to know everything. So, and then one day I literally woke up. There was not a thing that I could say woke me up. I just got up one day. Was there a still small voice? No. Were there angels in the room? No. Did somebody come and drop a scripture off at me for me? No. It was just one day I woke up and I thought, this is not going to end good. I've got to find my way back to God. And I would say the first time I met Jesus, I wanted him to be my saviour, to save me from all the future and the eternity ahead of me. But I didn't want him to be my Lord. No, because we all say as Christians that we want Jesus to be our Lord and Saviour. But I just thought, I don't want him to be my Lord. I still want to run my life. I still want to do things the way that I want to do them. And I think that was the thing that got me to that place. And so um, I wanted this time for Jesus to come into my life to save me from myself, just like was said during the worship this morning, save me from myself and to be the Lord of my life and to come in and direct my life and to come in and show me where my destiny was. I wanted all of that. And in this moment, I think that was the moment when I realised I was really, really... um, with, at one with God and then I it's funny how all the way through our testimonies there are people around and God it's like God has a chessboard and he says right I want you to come over here and talk to that person over there I want you to go over there because there's something I want you to do so it's important for us as Christians to keep our ears and our eyes wide open because there's somebody waiting to be um, nurtured into that place and so I, I met this couple and they were a couple from my old church and he used to be uh, Auckland's biggest con man. So if anybody was going to bring me back into the kingdom, <laughs> may as well be a con man, eh? <laughs> and so he and his wife, but they were different. They were like game changers for me. They lived a gracious life and not always. they were not always striving to be perfect. They were just normal people. They loved unconditionally and accepted people where they were, where they were at. And life was fun with them. They enjoyed life. They enjoyed the abundance life that God said that he would give us. And they laughed a lot. You know, Christians, we've got to laugh. I mean, we've got to laugh at ourselves if nobody else, you know. We do some strange things, Christian brothers and sisters, and we've got to laugh at ourselves. And um, they taught me how to go to God with all of my prayers, not the nice things that I'd done during the week, but all the distinct things that I'd done as well. And they taught me that God could take people who were still broken and use them. So it was a weenie church way up there in Dargaville, and um, we were church planting. I don't think any of us knew what we were doing, but it was great fun. and God always seemed to come through for us despite ourselves. And I remember him one day because the one thing I couldn't give up was cigarette smoking. And I remember him saying to me one day, "This is the pastor. I want you to preach." I said." Smoking. I'm smoking. He said, uh, "Have you tried? Uh, are you stop trying to give up?" I said, "No." He said, "Good enough for me. I reckon it's good enough for God. Preach." So I pro- <laughs> I preached. Before I preached, I went round the back and <laughs> <laughs> calm the old nerves, you know. And I, you know, I, amazing. It, I, I, and I'm thinking. I know this is messing with some of your theology, but too bad. I mean, God does anything he likes. And so, you know, and then I'd finish, and then, and then he got me to do more and more. And there came a time, he said, when you're ready to give up, and when God and you are in a, a good space, you know, it'll happen, and it did just like that. There was no champics or vapors or whatever you call those things. There's none of that stuff. It just, one day I got up, and that was it, gone, finished. But that was God, wasn't it? Yeah, I never needed another... Se- I still don't need... It. I didn't have a smoke this morning, if anybody's wondering. Didn't do that. You know, I didn't have a smoke. So this is when my life really started with God. And um, as James comes, I think my God is good. Amen.
0: Man, I just want you to carry on, honey. This is really, really interesting. Awesome. <laughs> As I was spiraling into a deeper depression and delving into deeper drugs uh, after my girlfriend had walked out on me, I began to start stock-taking on where this would all end. I'd already started having suicidal thoughts, and I, I was planning on how I could finish it all off because my life was so miserable. But as I was reflecting on my current state of mind... I began to look back on how many times my life had been saved growing up on the farm I'd learned how to drive fast we were driving from about the age of 10 around about the farm and I had a real need for speed and so as I grew into my teenage years you know I I snapped the front forks on the farm bike, um, a couple of times doing jumps and tricks on it until I ended up getting my own bike and, um, and then, uh, graduated onto all these cars, but my, I remember my first car I ever brought, uh, I rolled it going to the school graduation with three other students in the car on the main street of Palmerston North. Turn there, okay, and, uh, over we went, and, um, and I was in no less than 10 serious car accidents, uh, most of them where the car was completely crushed, where we had to crawl out of a small opening in the vehicle. And uh, people were thrown out of vehicles, people were knocked unconscious, but I, I, every single car crash I was in, I never got one cut or scrape. And uh, every single car was written off, off to the car wreckers, and uh, And as I was in this deep state of depression, I suddenly realized as the words of my girlfriend came back to me, that there really is a a God who personally knows you and loves you and wants a relationship with you. Isn't it amazing how the Holy Spirit in the depths of my depression took her words, the wonderful grace of God, a woman who shouldn't have been living with me, but God used it to sow seed into my mind And the Holy Spirit was rerunning my life before me as I began to realize the numerous times that I had been saved from certain death. So one night, um, I was at the end of my tether and I didn't know what else to do. And I got down, I was living on my own in, in Tauranga and I got down on my knees in my flat. And I didn't really even know who to address or who to talk to. But I'd heard her talk about Jesus. And so I got down on my knees and I said, Jesus, if you're real, I really need your help right now. Otherwise, it's not going to end very well. And I'll never forget it to this day. How an invisible presence enveloped the room like liquid gold enveloped me and i felt like there was a invisible hands that had just wrapped themselves around me, my body and it was the power of god it was jesus turning up in the room and suddenly i knew this was the person who had saved me and saved my life all those years and that he was here in the room with me right now at a cry of desperation and help i didn't know how to pray All I knew was how to ask for help. And right at that moment, Jesus Christ entered my life. I can remember day one waking up in that flat. I'd lived there for two years. And I woke up and it was the first time I could remember hearing the birds right outside the tree, outside my bedroom window. I got up and literally, it was like a new filter had been put on my eyes. The grass was super green. The sky was bluer than blue. And it was so suddenly I realized that something had transpired and a new person had come inside of me. And I, I didn't, I, I felt like I had this treasure. I, I didn't want to, I was like I was hugging myself. I didn't want to let it go because it was so incredible. It was so amazing. And, uh, and I didn't want to do anything wrong to lose what, what had just happened within my life. And uh, it was very soon after that that a, a man uh, who had introduced himself as a born-again Christian at my job, He tapped me on the shoulder one day, and he said, man, what's happened to you, man? He said, there's something different about you. And so I told him what had taken place in my life and what the experience that I'd had, and he said, you've been born again. Jesus Christ has come into your life. This is what being a born-again Christian's all about. You've invited God into your life. And I'm going, oh, okay, what's next? And he said, you need to come to a church. Would you like to come to my church on the weekend? And I went along to that church. It was a church much like this, and I'd never been in it. Most of the church that I've been into was like, you know, just even to move your backside in the pew and make a squeak, everybody would turn around and look at you. And, uh, you know, we all put five-cent pieces in the offering to, you know, as salve for our consciences. And so I walked into this church and people were lifting their hands and people, I could see people who were heavily tattooed. I could see that obviously there were people like me in this church who had had a dramatic change of life. And, and I suddenly realized that This was a whole new chapter that had risen in my life. Somebody gave me a Bible and I began to devour the pages of the Bible. I couldn't get enough of the Bible. And it was at that point in time that, you know, I I, I can put it like this. Psalm 40 verse two says this. He brought me up out of a horrible pit of tumult and of destruction. Out of the miry clay and he set my feet upon a rock, steadying my footsteps and establishing my path. So it was at this point in time that um, I also realized that I was in a tremendous battle because suddenly as I was getting my feet established, all my old contacts from the underworld resurfaced. People were knocking on my door. Drug dealers were coming to my workplace and giving me free drugs. I'd never had free drugs in my life. I'd always had to pay for them. And they were slipping me stuff on the job. And of course I said, no man, I'm I'm not doing that anymore. Then they came knocking on my door, and I suddenly realized that there was a battle for my soul that was going on. And it was like the devil was out there with a fishing rod, and he was trying to reel me back in. And uh, so I did what, you know, all good Christians could do. I got on the phone to my pastor because it was at this point in time that I got a phone call from Australia, right in the midst of all this testing and trials, and it was my ex ringing from Australia saying it hadn't worked with her husband, and that she wanted to be back with me, and... I should go to Australia and, and leave. And, and it was this incredible temptation. And I said all the wrong things on the phone. Yes, I'm going to come. Yes, I'm going to do that. And as I'm saying all this, my heart inside, I'm feeling terrible because it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit saying, don't go there. So at the end of I put the phone down. And at the end of the call, I rang my pastor and he came around and he prayed for me. And uh, it turned everything around in my life at that point of time. And he, he prayed some things out of me, Uh, Demon spirits that were holding me ransom in my life at that time prayed over me, prayed for me, and I felt like I came out of the car wash and I was ready to stand on my own two feet at that time. So I guess it was at this point in time uh, of my conversion that uh, God really began to speak to me, and in a very short period of time, within six months of coming to Christ, I preached my first message in a church. And this is a person who had escaped every single speech competition at school. I'd wrangled my way out of everything of ever getting up in front of people. I was so shy in terms of standing up in front of people, so embarrassed. And suddenly I felt this internal call to preach the word of God. And that's when my journey began at the next phase. So I'll pass the last phase on to Viv.
1: Like I said, I feel terribly angelic compared to him. I wasn't, by the way, that woman that went back to Australia to her husband. That wasn't me. Just saying, just saying. Uh, so, I think that the the statement here is: um, How has knowing Jesus changed your life, and how is it changing now? Well. When I met the Lord, it was almost as if I could pass everything that I was afraid of, anxious about, onto him. Because he said, you know, he wanted me me to give him my burdens, to cast my burdens on him. And so when I did this, suddenly the world opened up to me again. Everything opened up to me again. Heaven opened up to me again. And it was as if I'd started again on a clean slate. So um, what happened? Lots of, There's so many things that happened in my life at that point in time. I was no longer alone. I was conscious of a God that was near me all the time when I opened my eyes. When I went down the road, when I closed my eyes, where the difficult things were happening, I was aware that God wanted to be with me. And for me, that was amazing, having a God that actually wanted to, you know, be with me. This 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 being who created the universe, who created people, could take time out of his schedule and be with me. It was an amazing feeling. And I, you know, at the very beginning, I was still in this little church way up north with these really great people, and little by little, did we sit down and have Bible studies? No, we did not. We They we just taught and we shared life and so you know my encouragement to you if you are a Christian here today and you want to know where to start to share your life with another person who's come to know Jesus this is discipleship it really is it's walking the journey with somebody else and so they would uh, they would share with me and they would open up um, opportunities they'd say to me things like come on Viv, you can do this you want to do it go for it so I did and um, time went on, and I um, I met this young man. What happened was that my nieces and nephews came to stay with me. Their mother was having a bit of a, to- a hard time. It, and I, you know, I've got to say, if any of you are single here today, God is the greatest matchmaker. He really is. Because I decided I was going to be celibate because I couldn't have kids. I thought, you know, I wouldn't want to mess up another man's life. So I thought I'm going to be celibate and I'm going to go to India because Mother Teresa needed me. <laughs> she really did, you know. She needed me to guide her and help her and all that sort of stuff. And that, that's what I thought because my thinking had gotten so big. Maybe it was a bit egotistical, I don't know. But I just thought suddenly I could see things that I couldn't see before happening in my life. And I could do things. With with God, everything was possible, and I and I had always had the thought um, that it says in John ten ten, the thief does not, not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. And I'd been I was done with that life. I have come that. They may have life. This is Jesus speaking, and that they may have it more abundantly. And I began to see this abundant life, and I was excited about it. And like I said, I was going to go on this thing, and I was going to go help Mother Teresa because she needed me. And, um, you know, I got so excited, and all of a sudden things began to open up to me. It was like God was saying to me, This is me. You can have whatever you want because I, you are my daughter. And I thought, Great. As I'm older now, I know that those things that God wants me to have is because He wants me to have them. (laughs) But, you know, at that stage, He wanted to open me up because I was very, there was only one place I was going, and that was to stay in Dargaville and do nothing, really. So God has a way, as fathers and mothers do, of opening up the vista for your children, and God was doing that with me. And so I began to believe in myself again, that anything was possible. And then around about this time, as I was saying, my sister was having a hard time. She said, uh, her kids up to me, said, can you look after them for a wee while? I said, sure. And the plan was that at the end of the week, they were supposed to get on the bus and go home. But they wouldn't get on the bus. They were like, no, we're not going, holding on the side of the the bus. And they wouldn't go. So I thought, I'll have to take you home. So I did. I went down to the Rangitake. And uh, she was a Christian. And she said to me, do you want to come hear this young guy preach at church? I thought, eh, why not? <laughs> so I went. And here was this, you know, a preacher, preaching, it was only, what, five? <laughs> 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 uh, bouncing around the pulpit and preaching. And apparently he had a prophetic word for me I straight over the top of my head. He said, when we finally got together, he said, did you, did you remember the... Prophecy, I said, nah, I didn't remember anything. I don't even remember you, really. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Oops. So, so we started, and my nephew, he knew that I used to write to um, people who were on the mission field just to encourage them, and he said, would you mind putting my friend, which was James, on the end of it? I said, no, no worries. So he and I became pen pals, and that's how God brought us together. And so we pen paled for a while and he was, it was a long distance relationship and I was good with that because otherwise he would have got on my road sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> in those days I didn't know how to do relationships very well, can you tell? And then eventually I asked him to marry me. And, and the proposal went something like this, um, are we a nice or not because if it's not you might want to keep going, (laughs) hard woman that those days, I've changed haven't I James, I've changed haven't I, (laughs) (laughs) so it went like that and we eventually got married and we had children, I've got three boys and the oldest is 30 and the youngest is 25, I know I don't look like I have a 30 year old, (laughs) thank you, thank you and um, they're, such, they're, they're, such, they're the love of my life, my boys, um, and uh, so we have a very close relationship, and only God could do something like that. Oh, yeah. And I didn't freak out about it, oh, maybe I'm not going to have kids, it was just God had called us to be together, that there's got to be something in it, right? And I couldn't, you know, I couldn't be worried about whether we're going to have kids or not have kids, there was a reason for us to be together. And I believed in that, and we had three boys, and they're beautiful kids, they're very much like their father, um, something I'm trying to change still, but <laughs> no, they're, they're lovely boys just like their dad. And um, they're the joy of my life, and I would be happy if this were my final destination because I've got my boys I'm in a place that God has called us to be, to plant churches, and When I met James and we got married, you know, it was difficult. We were both very, very strong-minded, very passionate about what we believed. James and I are different cultures. He came from a different stream of churches. When I went down to meet uh, their church, because we got married, and then I went down there to be the the elder's wife he was. Then he was 23, and he was an elder. How would you feel about that? (laughs) Making decisions, doing marriage counselling him, yeah. So we went, I went down there, and you know, we've been married for nigh on thirty years now, and our life has been nothing more than abundant. It has been absolutely fantastic. We really have, When we, like I said, we were very strong-minded, so we fought like that, you know, strong-mindedly, passionately. We fought like that for the first three years, and uh, we would use scriptures like uh, grenades, you know. <laughs> Submit yourself to God. Boom, boom. You know, lay down your life for your wife. That's how we fought. And we nearly didn't make it, but God, in His graciousness, brought us to that point where we said, Actually, you're both wrong. Come here. And our life has been, you know, we're more in love today than we were way back then. The shine has got better and better and better. And uh, we, still, we still debate passionately, but we debate and d- God is at the table with us. So we have to be careful what we say because our God is there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we, it, was just, it was just, for those of you who are, who are just married or those of you who are finding it difficult in your marriage, there is an end to it if you let God at the table. Yeah. You've got to let him in and um, because I was the woman that always had the last word, and so was James, and you can imagine it would start at five o'clock in the morning and end five o'clock the next morning, because we're all trying to have the last word, but God is good, God is good, (laughs) and um, yes, I did get to India, and Nepal, and Cambodia, and Vietnam, Malaysia, Singapore, I got to I got to the Himalayas, and only because God said, this is what you'll do. Amen? You can reach your dreams when you're with God, and I am still seeing that now. I can see, you know, our marriage getting better and better and better, and so we've both got walkers. (laughs) How are you, darling? Good. How are you? Good. It's going to be fantastic then. (laughs) It's like... it's like that, that saying, from glory to glory, he's changing me. And that has been the thing for both of us. It's not I'm going to change you, is, which is how a marriage usually starts. If you change, then I'll change. Right. But I'm going to say we have to concentrate on changing ourselves. God has given us a brief. And the brief is that you would be my children, that you would preach the gospel. That people would hear about me because of what they hear you say and what they see you do. So that's where we are now and that's where we continue to be. We are planting churches now. Um, Like James has often said, we've pastored big churches, little churches, mega churches in a campus and now we're doing what we believe God has called us to be and we're planting churches. Our last church would have been, there's like 500 in one congregation, 300 in another. This one's got about 140. And I am so blessed with all the people that come to us. You would have seen, heard George and Anya's story. Yeah. I mean, seeing God bring them in and then clean them up. Seeing all those subsequent gang members come in and want what they have and want the same God, serve the same God as they do. You know, for us, we're getting to the point, James and I, where we're doing the stand aside, and it's time for that next generation to come through. And just seeing how they minister with such you know, with such gusto. We've got a young Persian boy who, whose English is a second language. And I, this is my delight at the moment to supervise these young people in the way that they minister. And he'll get up to the pulpit and he'll go and he'll go and he'll go and he's at the end, he's like... <laughs> and he's only done the notices and the link between. <laughs> he's just so full of it. I, I said to him, what do you want to see, Arwen? What do you want to see happen? He says, I want to get up, do the notices, pray for those who are sick and they'll go go down in the spirit and then they'll rise up again and they'll be fully healed. Amen. It's like settle down, mate. It's only the, the notices. You know, it's all, all good, all good. And and then there's been a time with um there's been a time with a young uh, young girl. Hmm, Swap that out. There's a young girl whose her name is Faith and she's tall. And she's beautiful. So I had to give up, because I was the sole worship leader, I had to give up my stage. For, for when I first started, I had to give up my stage for that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> because she is beautiful, and her voice is lovely, and people just pay attention when she's worship leading. And that's how God is growing me forward, you know. Step aside, Rev. It's time for the next generation you know, and I'm trying to look as skinny as her, <laughs> I tried to look as tall as her, but just about killed myself on the heels, so that's not going to work, I just have to stand aside, amen, and that's where we are at, at the moment, and just seeing Georgie and Ania, the way they minister to people, seeing Ania say, I've got to stop being so brutal, I thought she wouldn't be Ania if she wasn't brutal, <laughs> when she speaks, but she had, God has given her an understanding that there has got to be, you know, a a certain way of doing ministry. There's got to be a certain way of pulling people into the family of God. So this is my family. This is my spiritual family. All these young people tearing around the place, people hanging off your every word. You you know, I'd come to that realisation as well, that because they look to you as somebody who's um, older in the faith, they hang on your every word. I have to be careful. So part of my growth is don't be too silly, which is what partying girls do. They just be silly sometimes. And I have to be careful of every word that I say so that they come into the things of God right, and they stand up in the full stature that God gives them. Amen. I'll pass this on to Jade. <laughs>
0: oh, you your... Thanks, It was awesome. It was really. She's still awesome. She's still you know, we, we got to experience something that very few people get to experience, a relationship through snail mail, you know, getting home from work at night, wondering, is there a letter in the mailbox today? you know, that, that high expectation, so I'd encourage you, if you have kids, you know, get them to write to somebody, and get them to wait for a letter to come back, they'll be so excited, and that's how Viv and I got together in our relationship. Uh God was very gracious to me from the point of time that I met this church family. And then uh, when all these uh, fishing lines were thrown out towards me to reel me back in, it came to a head one night where two of my old uh, drug-taking friends, they came round and uh, they were saying, oh, you're no fun anymore, Jim. You know, you don't wanna come out and party with us anymore. I said, look, in my naivety, I said, look, I'll come and show you how to party without all this stuff. So I jumped in the van with them and uh, one of my friends had just got a job working for a photographer, and he had thousands and thousands of dollars worth of photography equipment. He wasn't supposed to be using the van on the weekend. So we went out to this party, and as we entered the party, I can't describe to you what happened to me, but I walked into the room, and it was like all of the emptiness and the shallowness and the, the deep void of my past life confronted me all with one hit, and I physically felt like I was gonna vomit as I saw the, the uh, worthlessness of all that lifestyle just flash before my eyes. And I said to the guys, I can't stay here, we have to go. And they said, oh, we'll go around to another guy's place. So we, we headed off in the van. And because of my 10 accidents, um, and because I was the only one that was straight in the vehicle, um, I knew the way he was driving, I better watch out. And I was in the back with all this gear And uh, I had no seat, I was just um, sitting on my backside, and we had a sliding door with um, a glass window in the back, and as we were coming up to this sharp right-hand bend, I knew we weren't going to make it. Um, He was driving too quick, and so uh, he tried to take the bend, going too fast, and, uh, and over we went. And the thing is, I'd said to them before we went out, if you come out with me, you'll be sweet. I've got a God who's looking after and protecting me. This is my, my naive faith. And as that van, van went over, my face was pushed right up against the glass pane on the sliding door. And the van literally went right over and the gravel was this close to the window. And then suddenly out of the blue, I can't explain anything other than supernatural, miraculous. The van was literally picked up, put back on its wheels, And we went straight into the bank on the other side of the road. And uh, I I just, it was just a miraculous intervention of a supernatural kind. And uh, I jumped out of the van. The guy who was driving, who just got this job, he freaked out. He went running off, screaming into the darkness. Don't know what happened to him. Uh, (laughs) Deep paranoia set in with him. But the other guy that's in the front, he was going, Man, what happened? He said, I saw all that just take place. And I'm there jumping up and down, going, Praise God, praise God. Did you see? Did you see what happened? The angel of the Lord came and rescued us, just picked up. So he said, Man, I don't know what happened, but something put that van back on its wheels. That was incredible. And so I got a deep lesson at that point in time that this was the end of my former life. And God put a full stop on it and said, I don't want you going back into that world anymore. Uh, this is a lesson I've been gracious to you tonight, but if you want to keep going back to this world, it's not going to end well for you, and so I, I made a decision, and I cut my ties. God gave me a mentor, and I, I ended up going to flat with a guy for 12 months. He was ex-Vietnam vet, did two tours of Vietnam as a New Zealand soldier, um, had had a dramatic conversion just like myself. He'd been a drug baron. And, uh, and he had a hit and assignment out on him, and he went to stay with a pastor in the hills uh, where he could get away from, from any of the uh, hits that were taking place at that time. And he mentored me in the faith. And so this is how my life went for the next 12 months. We were up early at 4 a.m., 5 a.m. every day, and we were down on our knees and we were praying and worshiping. He taught me how to worship in the Spirit, he taught me how to read the Bible, he taught me how to pray. He even taught me how to hear words of knowledge and it was defined one day where I said I really want to go back to my family and share with them the change that's happened in my life. I want to go back to Mangarope where my father was still living um, and I didn't have a car and uh, he said look I'll take you. So he gassed up and we were all getting ready to go, the good old um, the uh, the Holden Belmont and, uh, and we and we jumped in the car, and then just as we were about to leave, he ran into the garage. He got an empty gas can, and, uh, and he put it in the boot, and we went back to the gas station and filled up. And I said, what's that for? And he said, oh, you'll, you'll see. So I was intrigued. So we drove five hours south. It's been a wonderful weekend. I shared with my father and uh, his partner what had taken place in my life. Uh, they seemed ready and open to receive what I had to say to them. And then on our way back to Tauranga, we were just outside of Rotorua, and suddenly in front of us on the side of the road was a, an American Chevy Impala with six patched gang members on the side of the road. And you know what happened to them? They'd run out of gas. So we pulled in behind them, grabbed the gas can that we filled up before we left, Tauranga three days before. And he just walked straight into the middle. He didn't say a word. He walked straight. And it was just like the Red Sea parted. And these gang members just made way. And he went straight, poured the can of gas into their um, and, he, and he said, you know, the Bible says if anyone gives a cup, cup of cold water in my name, you know, they'll be remembered before the throne of God. And he said, I'm giving you a can of gas, and I want you to know this, that God loves you. He knew this was going to happen to you, and he sent me to fill your car up so that you can get into town. And so it was events like this that took place in my life that began to open up the realm of the supernatural for me. And so soon after that, I began preaching uh, the Word of God, and uh, 30 years later, We've, uh, we've planted four churches. We've pastored five churches over a period of 30 years. We've seen hundreds of people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And the great blessing for me is that in the middle of it, I've realized that God has taken an ordinary New Zealand farm boy with all of his adult bruises from growing up in a broken home with an alcoholic father. And now God is using us to change lives all over the world. Over the last 30 years, I've preached in 20 nations around the world. And over that time, I've seen absolute supernatural instant miracles. I've seen um, club feet being healed right before my very eyes. I've seen a woman in the last stage of cancer being completely cured and uh, without a shadow of any remission whatsoever uh, take place within her life. I've seen broken bones healed. We've seen all manner of sicknesses and disease taking place. We've even had the blessing as I've prayed with many women with my wife, because of what happened to her, she was told she could never have children. We've prayed for many women who've never been able to have children, and suddenly they get pregnant. And so out of all of this, we have seen incredible favor and the love of God. And so I'd like us to finish this morning, if I may. Perhaps we could stand to our feet if we could do that as we finish this uh, time together. I want to thank you for your attention. I want to thank you for uh, your attentiveness this morning as you've given us the time to share a little bit about our story. But you know, the great thing is that every life has a story. Right now, there's a human tapestry of lies that are all interconnected here. Each and every one of you have a story of your own. And the, the pinnacle of that story for each one of us is that we discover the love that my wife and I have been talking about today that we discover it's not. this is not religion, this is relationship. This is finding and connecting with the one who left heaven and came to earth as a baby and grew up as a man and died on a cross, a wooden cross, suffered deeply and greatly on behalf of our wrongdoing and now freely gives the opportunity to all who believe in him to have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe on him will not perish but shall have everlasting life. And that's not just up there with the angels up there in, in the sky. This is now, this is here, this is today, to have an abundance of life where God can change the trajectory of your life today. And what's the requirement? One requirement, that you simply believe. You simply believe. It's not how many hoops that you have to jump through, how many hurdles that you have to cross. All God wants is the faith that you have presently in your heart. That's saying, Lord, I believe. Forgive me for not living a life with you. I wanna receive Jesus Christ into my life today. And that will be your day one. That will be the day where you can begin to live and walk a life of an abundance of life. So if we could just bow our heads, please, in a moment of prayer. I'm so grateful that God gave my wife and I a tremendous opportunity to discover him, to discover the reality of Jesus Christ living inside of us. And today, I don't want to deny anyone present that opportunity to do likewise. Jesus said, come and follow me. You know, Andrew said, come and see. And I want to invite you. You may be living in a stage of curiosity within your life and God wants to advance you past the place of curiosity to the place of experiencing the love of God within your life. He says today, come unto me, all of you who are heavy laden, all of you who are burdened, come and take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Today, God wants you to transfer the burden that you may be carrying, and to trade it in exchange for the lightness of his yoke around your life today. Jesus is here. He loves you. He proved it. He died for you. And now he wants to have a connection with you. How do we connect with God? Simply out of the depths of our heart, believing in his son and receiving him into your life. To as many as received him, the scripture says, Jesus To them, he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. That's you today. That's me today. I wanna give a moment and an opportunity at the end of this service for anyone present here in the meeting today who would like to start this journey of trusting in Jesus Christ and building a relationship with you. If that's you in just a moment, while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want to give you the opportunity to begin this journey with Jesus. And if you raise your hand this morning, you're saying, yes, Pastor James, I too want a start in my life of trusting God for myself. Not other people making me do it, but I freely come this morning because I want to do it. If that's you this morning, would you slip up your hand wherever you are in the building today? Is there anyone present this morning saying, God bless you? You may slip your hand down. Is there anyone else here this morning? Is there anyone else here this morning that's prepared to take that step of faith and say, Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to connect with my life this morning. God bless you so you may put your hand down. Is there any more here today We're just going to wait for a moment. Holy Spirit's at work. God bless you, Sue. I see that hand. Just a moment longer this morning. The Holy Spirit's at work within our lives, within our hearts. This is not just for special people. This is for everybody. For God so loved the world, the whole world. It's you. It's me. Is there one more this morning that would like to trust Jesus and begin a new journey in your life with him? all right, church, this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray together with these three hands that have been raised. I want to congratulate you for taking the courage for what you're about to do to pray this prayer. This will be day one of your journey. People will surround you. People will come and help you. People will journey alongside of you along the way to show you how good God is in your life. Let's pray together. If you could follow after me. Dear God, let's start again. Dear God, I thank you that you love me. That you sent your son Jesus to die for my sins. I believe in Jesus this morning. And I want you to come into my life. Please forgive me. Wash me from all my sin. Every wrongdoing. Today I want to trust you. So now I invite you, Jesus Christ, to come into my life, to be a part of my world from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand this morning. Praise God today. (laughs)